When I was in college, I wrote my senior thesis for my English degree on um, a speech that you probably told a teacher that you read in the book called The Brothers Karamazov that you may or may not have actually read because it's a really long book. It's called The Grand Inquisitor Speech. And what happens is um, during the Spanish Inquisition, this is a dream, the antagonist of the story, maybe. Yeah, that's right. Scott is the, the antagonist of the story. He's not in here. I'm getting coffee. Never mind. The antagonist of the story is relaying to one of the Christians in the story this vision that he had. During the Spanish Inquisition, Jesus appears. I don't know how much you know about the Inquisition. Very dark, horrific time. And Jesus starts talking and acting like Jesus, and he's immediately arrested. And the Grand Inquisitors, which would be the chief holy person of that state and that time just begins berating him and occasionally asking him a question, but they're all questions with an agenda, not a question of like, so good to see you here, Jesus, who I claim to worship. And I think one of the reasons that the Grand Inquisitor speech is known across literature, it's a Russian uh, novel by Dostoevsky, is because that is how our culture responds to Jesus. We have these symbols like hope and peace here at church. We have symbols the flowers and the trees and the gifts and the lights that uh, connect either firsthand or secondhand to the gospel of Jesus. And yet, as a culture, we're very resistant to the power of the gospel. Even those of us that follow it. I think similarly, when we see the baby Jesus in the manger, we, we have some measure of hope. That that baby represents hope, and yet the hope doesn't last for very long, and we're at least cynical, if not just strongly disoriented by the reality of hope. And you're like, I don't know what that means. In Talladega Nights, he loves the baby Jesus, but not the adult Jesus. Why? Because the baby Jesus can represent hope vaguely, and you and I can just be like, okay. But the adult Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if we're honest, that's a, that's a tall statement to deal with as a human being. The manger was only safe for a short period of time because Jesus' entrance to the world was amidst this world that you and I live in. Very similar. Politics. Violence contrasting cultures that don't want to hear about it. Those that were familiar with the Christ and those that are... I mean, the heroes of the first part of Matthew chapter 2 are Zoroastrian dualists. I'll explain that a little bit. I might say it a lot, too, because I've really been enjoying saying Zoroastrian dualists this week. Just FYI, prepare yourself. You might hear that phrase a lot. And so we're like, I love the sweet baby Jesus. I love the nativity sets. We have several in our home. We have extras here at the church if you want to set one up in your house. And what I love about them is it makes us more familiar with one part of Scripture, which is the entrance of hope in the form of a human, God becoming flesh. We just sang about it. What I don't like is it's so easy to look at a nativity and be like, isn't that sweet? Yes, it was sweet. And it was sweetness entering the world 
of violence and politics and tremendous brokenness and multiple cultures and kinds of cultures that are going to be resistant to flesh, to hope in fleshed, to peace in fleshed, to the light of the world becoming a human being who's going to push back on all of our assumptions about religion, history, philosophy, etc. The nativity story is a hundred times more like Saving Private Ryan than the Polar Express. I'm not against the Polar Express. In fact, I haven't even seen it. If it's the greatest movie ever, awesome. I'm not opposed to it. I love the way that our culture seasonally engages with Christmas. But God becoming flesh, speaking truth to power, pushing back on our religion and our irreligion, purchasing hope and freedom and peace was not a sweet story for very long. An unsafe manger reveals humanity. If you're familiar with the nativity story of Matthew, Matthew and Luke, Uh, tell it at greatest length. They tell it a little differently, but I think you're probably familiar with some of this story. I'm just looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They make some wise decisions in this, but these are astrologers, just FYI. That's why there's a little footnote in your Bible, because the word is magi. Saying, where is he who came from? Where is he who was born? Wow, I can't read. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's quoting, the priests are quoting the book of Micah from the Old Testament. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Not exactly what he's planning to do, just FYI. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Unsafe manger reveals the humanity that Jesus came into. Do you see how immediately political this gets? The scribes and the priests and Herod and the people and the magi, all trying to figure out what the other ones are doing, all trying to figure out how to politically interact with Jesus. 
The only ones who respond the right way are the Magi. And by the way, if you're tempted to be mad at the priests and the scribes, probably at least one of those groups had been entirely murdered by Herod and replaced with scribes and priests that he wanted. So they have a very real interest in staying alive. So they answered his question and then they didn't say anything else. But don't we just hate it when things get political? You know, you're at school and you're trying to, you're on the PTO and you're trying to remember that uh, the goal of the school is to educate young people. And somehow in the meeting, it just goes totally off the rails. And what bothers you about it is it gets political. Doesn't it bother you that this medium-sized church gets political all the time without even meaning to? Where people are trying to maneuver for their program and forgetting the mission or the pastor succumbs to it accidentally or on purpose because it's full of people. Don't you hate when politics get political? And by that, I mean we know that this or that representative is more concerned with staying in office than going by their convictions or, re- or more importantly, representing the people of their constituency. Don't we hate that when we see it? And it, it absolutely happens here and we work against it and we pray against it and we try and talk to each other about it when it happens here. That's why I have our boards get together a couple times a year and I literally will have us all high-five each other. We're all on the same team. And they think it's silly, but they understand why, because we're trying. But we still get political. Don't we just hate that? I mean, haven't you probably said in the last two months, oh, it all got political. About family, school, politics, church, right? What immediately happens when Jesus comes to earth? We look at the nativity and we see the sweetness. And yet... The actual story is way more like Veep, West Wing, Madam Secretary, House of Cards, or Big Little Lies. Some of you don't know those shows. That's probably a good thing. They're pretty challenging. Not West Wing, of course. West Wing's fine, but... (laughs) It was challenging in the 90s. The humanity that Jesus enters is way more like that than like an after-school or a Hallmark special. And so it's okay that we have nativity sets everywhere if we remember or understand perhaps for the first time that was not what it was like for very long. Notice the astrologers want to worship Jesus. The astrologers are rejoicing with exceeding joy. Notice that Herod and the priests and the scribes are not asking good questions. And it's because they don't want to relinquish their power. Their life is such they're not sure they want to give any of that up. It is the question that the gospel pushes on us. Have we come to the end of ourselves and are willing to say to someone other than ourselves, You're Lord, not me. It's what Herod was unwilling to do, but the astrologers were willing to do. The gospel question is, are you... Have you come to the end of yourself? Your own understanding, your own political systems, your own breadth of understanding of the world. Are you willing to call me Lord? The unsafe manger reveals humanity and history. Why all the details? We talked about this a little bit last week. Why do we need to know that it's Herod and which Herod it is? By the way, there are a bunch of Herods. I have to do a little research to remember which one is which, so if you don't remember which one is which, it's okay. 
At least three off the top of my head. Why all the details? Jesus, Bethlehem, Judea, Herod, the Magi, Jerusalem, priests, scribes, three gifts. You know, we don't know how many Magi actually visited Jesus. It's okay to have three in your nativity, but it's okay if you have eight. If you want to have eight, that's all right. The reason we think it's three is because they had three gifts. We don't really know. And that's why it's not bad if you have a bunch of Magi. Why all the details? Because it happened this way. See, here's the thing about the scripture and the thing that one of the things that I try and bring up regularly. I cannot stand up here and convince you that there was a supernatural conception and then, and then a virgin birth. Virgin conception and virgin birth. I can tell you that Matthew goes out of his way to remind us of details and that tells us that this text is reliable. And we'll hear in the culture implied and stated. Some universities will teach this way and some don't. Depends on the particular religious studies of that particular college. They'll say that the text is not reliable. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to be a sincere not follower of Jesus, just say the supernatural is the stumbling block for you. Because it can't be that the text is unreliable because people that were opposed to Jesus, and especially the second century, considered this a reliable text. And people who wrote before them that were for Jesus knew Matthew and read his book and quote it as reliable. Which does not mean that you have to believe all of this. But it does mean that those that say the text is unreliable are wrong. I wouldn't encourage you to tell them that that way. Perhaps you'll research with me, Papias, and Irenaeus, and Josephus. Josephus is the one who is opposed to Christianity, but considered the text reliable. Anyway. Why all the details? Because that's what happened. Matthew knew some of the interested parties. The memory was still present in Bethlehem and Judea when he was following Jesus later. There is some really horrible stuff that's going to happen and we're going to talk about it next week. And the reason we're going to talk about it next week is it's in the text. And if we just talk about the things that are sweet, we actually do not understand the incarnation of Jesus. So something really horrific happens right after the text that I just read. And when we pretend it doesn't, we're pretending that we don't live in a world of violence and incredibly broken political systems. Power doesn't like power. You know that point in time in your work week where you chuckle at something and you're like, no one who does any other kind of work would think this is funny. I imagine this happens a lot to actuaries and perhaps people in the insurance business. It happens to pastors too. I was reading this week that the Magi were almost certainly Zoroastrian dualists, but historians d disagree on what kind of Zoroastrian dualists they were. And I started chuckling. And I was like, no one's going to care. And some part of me that sort of <laughs> just wants to say that a lot. Not that no one cares, but the Zoroastrian dualists, people are unclear about what Zoroastrian dualism looked like 2,000 years ago. But they were not wise followers of Jesus. They were astrologers, which at that time was pretty widely recognized as a reputable way to do divination heavenly. Not necessarily by God followers, though they were a little bit affected by that also. And the reason that I'm saying that to you is not just because I like to say Zoroastrian dualists. Though I clearly do. 
I have two forms of humor, sarcasm and repetition, just FYI. (laughs) But because those messy pictures, the details are there. The fact that Matthew calls the Magi and shows the Magi having the right response to Jesus and not the Jewish people that are nearby, for good reason, because they were afraid for their lives, is because that's what actually happened. The Zoroastrian dualists respond with, they rejoice with exceeding joy. They worship. They listen to the dream that says you're going to have to avoid Herod, which probably cost them months. To get out of Israel and avoid Herod probably means they had to go to Africa and then go back a different route. You know, I was talking about the Zoroastrian dualists. So we're done. We're done with that joke. Okay. The unsafe manger reveals humanity and history that is entered by Emmanuel, by Jesus. And what's inferred and applied here and stated in the rest of the Gospels and especially the New Testament is we need more than new ideas. Though I'm thankful for new ideas. I like everything that my cell phone can do. But we need more than new ideas. We need more than political fix, though... Good grief. Our politics could use some fixing. We need more than new religious practices. That's why God did not send a new teacher, though Jesus taught. He sent himself in fleshed. We do not need more and better education, though we do. Not at the deepest levels of our humanity and our culture. What we need is enfleshed, enfleshed hope. We need incarnated peace. We need God to become a human being, to cross over, to purchase those things for us. Because intellectually, culturally, we will never get there. We are so far from the mark of God's holiness. Our fleshiness. We are broken people. And we need even more than repair. We need a new heart. All those things that I brought up are important. (laughs) New ideas, politics, religious practices, education. All of them are important. But Jesus came to earth as a human being because we need far, far, far more than that. So what do we do? I was speaking a couple weeks ago with Lynn Schoenhardt and she gave me a very hilarious analogy that because this is being taped I can't give to you but you can ask her about it about sermon application she thinks that I am okay at that and the reason we're talking about it is that sermon without an application is hard for us to engage but here's the thing so much of the Bible does not present something for you and I to do it presents something for you and I to be grasped by So if you are not a follower of Jesus, what you do is consider the gospel, that God became a human being to purchase what we could never purchase for ourselves, eternal security, internal peace, life with him today and forever, and then the forever after that, because heaven isn't the end. 
the end is Jesus comes back to earth and makes all things new. So what we do, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is consider. Consider the gospel of Jesus. Have you considered whether the text is reliable? It's fine to sit here and listen to me say it's reliable. I hope you think I know what I'm talking about. I think I do. Go look at all the books on my shelf. They're very important. If you are already a follower of Jesus, especially in Advent, the time when I see more sleepy faces ever, and it's not because of my preaching, it's because we're so... Well, it might be. (laughs) I could maybe not say Zoroastrian dualist over and over and over and over. But I think it's largely because we're so used to the nativity story. We're so used to hearing Linus read Luke's version of the nativity. We're so used to seeing wise men everywhere. And now you're just going to be so annoyed at me all week. You're like, oh, look, the Zoroastrian duelists. (laughs) There are trees and lights and gifts everywhere that were missing the beauty of the incarnation. So what you do with this text is believe more deeply that God loves you and likes you. That he sent his son Jesus in the flesh to recover you to him. And you have the Holy Spirit. That is good news that began the second men and women sinned and the world was broken. But is enfleshed in Jesus of Nazareth. You know, for all of Herod's violent and awful politicking and ruling, he teaches us something that the rest of the Bible teaches a little more directly, which is that there are only two ways to respond to Jesus of Nazareth. We cannot just believe. We accept and trust and are grasped by the truth of the gospel or we reject it. The beauty of this story is we see the outsider, the Zoroastrian dualist, coming to worship Jesus. We see someone who knew something of the story of Jesus absolutely reject him. I do not like this part of the nativity story. I do not like the sermon that, we're gonna, that I'm going to preach next week because it's violent and awful. That is the world that we live in. But in addition to it being the world we live in, it also presents to us that, that there are two options. According to Jesus' teachings about himself, there are two options for us. Worship or reject. Belief is in the middle. Intellectual assent is somewhere in the middle. That's not an option if Jesus is who he says he is. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to consider the gospel, for it is good news of great joy, if you will. And if you are,